you turn this morning in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, as we continue our journey here along with the Apostle Paul, this gospel team that's in Greece, they're now located in the city of Athens. They're going to move in these few verses over to Corinth. Timothy has been sent up north back to Thessalonica, the church to whom this letter is written, because there is a battle going on for that church. Do you know today that there's a battle going on for you, for us, for this church? How many of you have figured out you're walking with the Lord? How many of you have figured out that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground? Amen? We're, we're in a fight, and that fight is a fight for our lives in many ways. And that's in view in this passage as we pick up in verse 5. We'll take down to verse 7 of this morning. And you see, the reason that Paul sent Timothy was that the plans of the enemy were discouraging the Christians in, in Thessalonica in this new church. The plans of the enemy for you is to discourage you, to dissuade you, to beat you up, to knock you down, and eventually his plan is to get you out of the race. He wants to destroy your life. And so as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we find that God is more than sufficient, but that the battle is real. And so part one of a message I've entitled, Fighting Hard, uh, as we continue our journey here with this fledgling church that Paul wrote to in Thessalonica. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, as we come this morning, Lord, many of us have come in uh, bearing some scars, bearing the wounds. Lord, perhaps even carrying in our minds uh, the thoughts of the battles that we're going through. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bind the work of the enemy, that you would set this time aside for us to be able to hear your voice, for you to speak to us through the majesty and power of your word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, keep us, Lord, from stumbling, keep us from falling. Lord, help us to fight hard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5 here in 1 Thessalonians 3. And for this reason, now the reason, again, is looking backwards. It looks back towards that total commitment that we need to have as the body of Christ, as believers in Christ Jesus. We're all in. We need to have total commitment. And for this reason, Paul says, when I could no longer endure it, when I couldn't bear it any longer, when, when the enemy had filled the Apostle Paul's mind and his heart with the thoughts that perhaps this church, this group of people that he had invested in was struggling because of the attacks of the enemy, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. We already know that he had sent Timothy to check them out, to make sure they're doing okay. Lest by some means, and here's where we'll focus, the tempter had tempted you. And there's an inference there that the tempter not only had tempted, but had been successful. That the enemy had thrown the bait 
and that perhaps the Thessalonians had bit, and that our labor might be in vain. You see, in our walks with the Lord, we want to finish the race, amen? How many Christians do you know that fought the good fight for a while only to bite the bait and not finish well or maybe not finish at all? It's a fight. It's tough to walk in this world for the Lord Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do. Our value system is very different as believers than the value system of this world. Our goals are different than the goals of those who are simply living for today. We have heavenly goals in view. We have heavenly tools in hand. And so we are a different people in that regard. And so he says, look, I don't want that labor that we invested in you to be in vain. And this is not a prideful thing. He's saying, I'm worried for you. I'm worried that the tempter has thrown something at you. And perhaps you might have been picked off. And now that Timothy has come to us from you and and brought us this news of your faith and your love, that you always have a good remembrance of us, and we greatly desire to, and greatly desire to see us, and we also to see you. And therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning your faith. You see, the Apostle Paul has in view this battle, this fight. And the word endure there in verse 5 means to protect or to preserve by covering something. In other words, there was such a fight for the lives of these believers in Thessalonica that Paul was very concerned to the point of, man, I want to make sure that I've got this covered for you. I'm checking in on you to make sure that you're doing okay because the battle is real. It means to bear up against. It means to hold out against some struggle or some strife. It means to fight hard. You see, that's the reality. That is the reality of what's going on with your life and with mine. We are constantly in a fight with the tempter. And the tempter wants to tempt. He wants to move into your life in such a way as to draw you away from the things of the Lord. And what he really intends to do is ultimately to kill you, except he doesn't tell you that. He doesn't reveal his plans. He's wily. He's crafty. But the tempter is constantly trying to tempt us. It's why writing to the very church that he would now be ministering in there in Corinth, he he said there in chapter 9 of the first letter to the church at Corinth, There in verse 12, he said, But endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel. You're going to endure a lot of things. And if you don't endure, here's what's at stake. As Christian parents, your children are watching you. They're looking to see if the things that you say you believe are actually true when the test comes. You see, because God will allow you to be tested 
but he will never tempt you. The end of a test is good in your life. The end of a temptation is evil in your life. Your children are watching to see when that temptation comes. Will you cave in? Will you resort to the very things that people without Jesus resort to? Or will you stand in that evil day? You're going to have to fight hard. You see, when the Bible refers to the devil as the tempter, which is found here and only one other time, it's remarkable that it's only two times. Once in reference to people, the other time is in reference to Jesus himself. So if the tempter will tempt the Thessalonians, the church, and he's so gutsy as to even tempt Jesus... How much do you think he uses temptation in your life? If he somehow believed that he could be effective in tempting the Lord Jesus Christ, I think you can pretty much count on you're going to be tempted at some point in time. Maybe today. I had an interesting thing for service. I want to clarify it. My son Austin was not, I repeat, was not, killed in a traffic accident today. But what I had as I was sitting worshiping the Lord was right directly darting into my mind were these thoughts, irrepressible ones. The enemy's like, boom, your son's been killed in an accident. And while I'm worshiping, I'm having to pray through that because the enemy wants to tempt us to doubt God's goodness wants to cause us to stray from those things that the Lord wants to do. Now, it was just a momentary thing. But that's how wicked the enemy is. I'm standing, I'm praising God. I'm preparing my heart and mind to speak God's word. And he is no respecter. The enemy hates you. And there in the moment you're praising, all of a sudden, a dart out of nowhere. Exactly what Paul said. The fiery darts of the wicked one there in Ephesians 6. The enemy's like, boom. A little spot where I can tempt. Is God good or is God not good? You see, the enemy wants to tempt you. And he does that in in an age-old way. There in 1 John 2, verse 16, it says this, For all that is of the world, speaking of this world that we live in and its system, which right now is under the sway of the wicked, when all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. The enemy has been tempting the body of Christ and attempted even to tempt the Lord with three basic things. Power. Control, in other words. Passion. That can be everything from your sexual passion to passion for anything in this world. Passion for fame. Passion for money. And then ultimately for possessions, things that you believe that you can actually own when in fact Scripture says the earth and the fullness of it's the Lord's. 
the enemy tempts, because his purposes are evil, to draw you towards trusting yourself, trusting in what you can do, and trusting in what you can own. That's how he works. And he still works in that chief way. Those demonic forces, the world system itself, and your own flesh are very much capable of giving in. There in James chapter 1 and verse 13, it it gives us a a, a picture. Very often people will come to me and say, you know, uh, the Lord was just tempting me in this. I say, the Lord doesn't tempt. Satan alone tempts you. God will allow you to be tested, but he does not ever tempt you. James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Pretty plain statement, amen? So if you're facing a temptation, it's not because God brought it. It's not because God allowed it. It is because the enemy has purpose to try and destroy you. And notice what he says, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he or she is drawn away by his own desires. Your desire for power, your desire for passion, and your desire for possessions. Those three areas of life. Those come from within you. And here's the key. And enticed. You see, the enemy does the enticing. The enemy knows exactly what lure to throw in front of your proverbial nose. He knows exactly what you're looking for. And he knows exactly why you're looking for it. And so he knows how to entice you. You see, when you're trying to catch trout, you must entice them. You have to cause what is thrown at them for a moment in time to look real. The whole purpose of that splashdown of the lure right in front of the trout's nose is that the trout, for a second, ignores the fact that things made out of metal. And it has hooks. And it's some weird chartreuse color that has nothing to do with things that actually are alive and are edible. But for a second, the trout is enticed. Satan does the very same thing to you. It's not real. It's not good for you. It's made out of stuff that you should instantaneously, if you actually looked at it, reject it. But he knows when to throw it, how to throw it, to entice you, to get you to bite something that will get you hooked. Because he wants to destroy you. Not because he's trying to feed you. Not because it's good for you. Not because that thing that he's thrown in front of you is something you should have. It's something you shouldn't have. But he has enticed you through temptation to bite it anyway. The devil means you harm. And he does not play fair. There is a reason for the more than 20 names that we find in Scripture for the devil. For the tempter. And I'm not going to cover all 20. But I want to give you a little picture of the enemy that you're fighting against. 
Because I think many Christians are actually ignorant of the devil's devices. And you can learn a lot about his character just from the names that he's called in Scripture. The word, in fact, devil, diablos, means slanderer. It means defamer. It means somebody who brings a false accusation. You see, the enemy is behind those things that are said about you, and the, the enemy is behind those things which you receive in your heart. Well, those people are speaking evil about me. The enemy is a slanderer. He never tells the true story about anyone, both good and bad. So when we use the word devil, you need to know who he is. He means to misrepresent both the truth and the lie to you. And he wants to slander God, he wants to slander the church, and he wants to slander you personally so that you believe a lie. He is pure incarnate evil. And so those things which get tossed in front of your face are very often made out of slanderous things, either about God or someone else. His name Abaddon, which in the Hebrew is Apollyon, it's the same, it's an equivalent word. It means destroyer, it means destruction. He's not called the destroyer, he's not called destruction because he means you well or is offering you something that's good for you. He's trying to destroy your life. So part of his character is to lie to you so that you will be enticed by what he throws at you so that he can destroy you. Case in point, that argument you have with your spouse that goes on for a couple of weeks and there's a disagreement in your home and all of a sudden you start feeling like, well, he doesn't listen to me or she doesn't listen to me. Hey, she, they, my spouse doesn't care. And all of a sudden, somebody comes along who's a really good listener. And they're so kind and so nice. And they listen. They were sent from the pit of hell to do some nice listening. Because the enemy's trying to destroy you. You're supposed to go be reconciled to your spouse. You're supposed to not let the sun go down on your wrath. You're supposed to, husbands, die to yourself. Wives, you're supposed to respect your husband. But no, he's not listening to me, so I'm not going to respect him. But here's this guy who will listen to me. You see the enemies in that. That is Apollyon knocking at your door. That's not someone who loves you more. That's the enemy trying to destroy your marriage. The accuser of the brethren. Another one of his names. The Greek word here, kathgar, means to bring condemning accusations against others. In other words, no matter what happens, the enemy brings that line of reasoning. Well, everyone else on the planet's wrong except for you. We call that pride, amen? 
It's one of the enemy's vices, is pride. And so all of a sudden, everyone else is wrong. You're the only one in the entire world that's right. And the accuser of the brethren's right there to tell you, yeah, you should just follow your heart. You need to remember what your Bible says about your heart when the enemy says, follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked, and who can know it? Not even you. So the last thing you want to listen to is your heart. Because it's deceitful. Your heart can mislead you. Anybody had the experience of following your emotions only to find out there were a one-way street to a place you didn't want to go? It's the enemy using what God intended for good to accuse other people, to accuse your family, to accuse your friends, to accuse your church, to accuse your pastor or somebody that you normally would respect. And the enemy just comes in and is like, no, they don't really love you. He's your adversary. He's your opponent. If you were lined up in a, in a legal sense, Uh, You're on one side, the devil's on the other. And he aims to win. He is literally against you. He's not kind of sort of for you. He is literally against you in every facet. No matter what you may think about that certain situation that's going on in your life, it seems like it might be something good. If it's contrary to God's word, that's the enemy tempting you. That's the enemy going, well, you know, you tried it God's way. Anybody ever heard that? You you see, the enemy wants to lie to you. He's also known as Belial. It means hopelessness. It means ruin. It means the source of anything idolatrous. It means futile. You you see those things that come into your mind that the enemy somehow says, no, this is going to help. Well, you know, I I mean, after all, you need to self-medicate because life is rough. You see, the enemy says you need to do this because it's going to help you get through the day. But what he doesn't tell you is it's going to destroy your marriage and destroy your children and destroy your job and it's ultimately going to destroy your liver and you're going to die. He just says, well, you need it. He wants to put worthless things into the category of good things. And hopefully you'll be enticed to take the worthless thing. He's known as the wicked one. It means that his base character is 100% evil. It's not 97% evil, it's 100% evil. There's nothing good about anything that motivates the wicked one. He's degenerate, he's vicious. Every bit of hatred that exists in this world is because the enemy has prompted the hearts of men to believe lies so that they become hate-filled. It's part of his nature as the chief hater. 
the one who stimulates people to hate on others. He's wicked at his core. And finally, for this morning, he is the father of all, how many? All. Every last lie that has ever been told has its root, its source. Scripture calls him the father because it actually means progenitor or that from whom others flow. We call God our Father because He is the source of heaven. Amen? He's the source of heavenly things, heavenly life, eternal life. Satan is the father of all lies. Every last lie. He's been duping people with deception. He's been causing people to believe things that are untrue. And he does so every single time he opens his mouth. For a young college student like me, a very simple lie that somehow mankind could exist apart from God. Darwinian evolution. Seemed reasonable to me. I mean, goo to you. I mean, who knew? Man comes from monkey. You see, the lie was, here's a professor standing in front of young, impressionable 18-year-olds going, y'all got here because some blue-green algae transformed into people. Well, he's got to be smarter than I am. Until I realized that what he was actually saying is somehow chemicals floated around in outer space and organized themselves, added information and energy, which are against the laws of physics. They cannot do that. You see, but there was just enough lie there to entice the mind. Family, be careful, because the enemy is the father of all lies. And in his names, we need to be extremely careful, because if you do not fight the right way, you will be underestimating his power. You'll underestimate the wickedness that is intent on destroying you, because he's going to take advantage of anything he can take advantage of. He doesn't play fair. That's why Paul calls him the tempter. I am concerned the tempter has tempted you. Why would that be his concern? Because the tempter is really good at tempting. The the tempter is after you today. He's not just after pastors. He's not just after people in ministry. He's not just after people who are kind of, sort of, maybe a little further along the road of life and, and, and being godly. The enemy is after everyone who loves the name of the Lord. He wants to take you down. And you need to not underestimate what he wants to do. He will use your own human pride. He will use your desire for power, your desire for passion, your desire for possessions. And by the way, those things used correctly are actually God-given gifts. God exalts people to do things. But that power is kept under His authority, not yours. Those possessions still belong to God, not you. That passion is designed to stay within the confines of your marriage not outside the confines of marriage for any reason. You see, 
The enemy takes what is good and he taints it. And he puts it out there as if it is a counterfeit to the real thing. He will issue threats to your mind. He will use craftiness and cunning thought. Things that when you go back through you're like, oh, well that makes sense to me. He's going to take every vulnerability that you already have. Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows exactly which lure to tie on that line to throw right at you at exactly the right moment. Again, back to my fishing analogy. When you're fishing for trout, they're like the finickiest fish in the world. You can use the same lure in the same spot on a different day and get a completely different result. One day they like the golden red ones, and the next day they like the chartreuse green ones. We're like that. But God knows exactly what to keep you from. And so he says, hey, that's a lure. That's an enticement. And the enemy's going, no, it's not. Actually, those hooks won't hurt you at all. Go ahead. Doesn't that look awesome? Doesn't she look awesome? Doesn't he look awesome? You know, after all, your employer doesn't pay you enough, so just take a few of those things and you sell them. You just take care of yourself. You see, behind the scenes, Satan's going, yeah, I got them. Now they're going to steal those things, and then they're going to get fired, and they're really going to be hurting for certain. You see, the enemy doesn't tell you that. Just says, oh, you deserve it. Do not underestimate the attack that can come upon your home, upon your marriage. That's why Jesus said, if the world hates you, you need to know something. It hated me before it hated you. You're going to have literal problems in your life because you're a child of God. Because you live differently than the world lives. Jesus made that clear. Satan knows your history. Satan knows where he can kind of stick it to you a little bit. He knows exactly how to play the game so that you're, you're more than likely to bite. Satan loves misunderstanding. He loves unkindness. He loves thoughtlessness. Any of you that are married, you've been married for a while, you know a couple of things. Number one, you know you're selfish and self-centered. That no matter how much you try and portray it some other way, that inside of all of us has the capacity to seek after our own good. Amen? It's a truth. You don't believe that. You'll live long enough to know that what I just said is absolutely true. You, you see, what will happen then is the enemy comes along and plants a thought in your mind. And that thought grows into an argument between you and your spouse. And then all of a sudden that argument grows and it doesn't get resolved. And instead of getting resolved, the enemy takes that vulnerability that you have. And then it is at that time that person shows up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just, you know, we were just talking. No, that was the tempter tempting because your marriage needs some work. 
Don't misunderstand his intent. The enemy means to destroy you. And he will cheat and lie and deceive and throw every single lure he's got in his tackle box right in front of your face, hoping that you will bite on one of them. Satan wants you to take your spouse for granted. Satan wants to break your marital relationship. And he knows exactly what to throw at you. We have to fight back. And the way we do that is the very very simple things that are mentioned here at the end. We have to fight back with faith and fight back with love. You see, we need to nurture our faith that it becomes so robust that it's like, that's a lure. We need to nurture the Word of God because from the Word of God our faith grows. Amen? And so you, you know that's truth, that's a lie. But when you ignore the truth and you don't nurture your faith, all of a sudden your faith begins to wane and your flesh begins to grow. You see that? They're, they're inversely proportionate. As your faith grows, your flesh gets pressed down. As your flesh grows, your faith gets pressed down. They are inversely proportionate. So as one grows, the other shrinks. As the other grows, the other shrinks. So you need to grow your faith. Because if you grow your flesh, you're setting yourself up for the enemy to throw a lure right at the tip of your nose and you're going to bite. Because you're going to be weak in faith. And so he says at the end of this, He brings good news of their faith and their love. You see what happens as you grow in faith, and that's vertical, amen? Your your faith is your relationship with God, your relationship to His Word. It's that vertical relationship. And as that gets strengthened, it enables you to live in love with your horizontal relationships, with people, to have them in the proper perspective. In order to be right with man, you have to first be right with God. In order to resist the devil, in order to flee those temptations, in order to walk away from those things that are thrown at you, you need to have more Jesus in you than you have you in you. Amen? You grow in faith. You grow in grace. You grow in love. And when love is in you in full, love flows out of you. You see, love's not going to cause you to bite on that lure that the enemy throws. Love's going to cause you to see it for what it is. (laughs) Metal and hooks. Your flesh is going, wow, I need that. I don't even know what it is, but I don't like what I got, so I need that. You see, faith causes you to see the world the way you're supposed to see it. For we walk by faith and not by... Why is that? Because we'll deceive ourselves. It's the same principle. You see, as I'm looking to the Lord in faith, then I see the things of this earth correctly. So when the enemy throws something at me that's a lie, I see it for a lie. If I'm not okay with God, I won't be okay with men and I am more susceptible to the enemy throwing stuff my way. So the secret is growing your faith 
and thereby growing in love. It's to have that Godward part correct so that the manward part follows. That was the desire that Paul had for this team. And I pray it's your desire because you're, you're in a fight. You know he's not going to let up. He's going to keep going back to the tackle box and pulling out a new lure. He's going to continue to try and find ways to entice you to sin. He's going to keep feeding you lies. He is going to viciously attack the character that you have and the character of every other believer. He's going to slander you. He's going to come against you. So beware. Be wise. Know those things are going to happen. And so when they do, you can recognize the temptation. And you won't fall to the tempter tempting you. But you will grow in faith and thereby grow in love. And as those temptations come, you're going to find a great more deal of, of success. You're going, to, you're going to see them for what they are, and you're going to say, no thanks, I'll take what I already have in Christ. I don't need what you have. I want what the Lord wants for me. And thereby you can fight hard, and you'll also find yourself winning. He's already won the battle, amen? The question is, are we going to persevere in our part of it and receive what he has for us? To do that, we need to fight hard, amen? Would you stand? Let's pray together. I want to encourage you again. We have a prayer team available. If you need prayer on anything in your life, we want to do that. If you, if you don't know the Lord, we want to share the gospel with you. But remember the battle that you're in. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that greater is he who is in us, you, Jesus, than he who is in this world, the tempter. And we thank you for that promise that you've overcome this world. And so, Lord, help us to walk in it. Help us to fight hard. Uh, we bless your name. We thank you for your goodness to us. Pray that you would strengthen us, Lord. Cause us to resist the enemy, that he would flee. And, God, that you would just grant us great victory this week as we walk with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.